Welcome to We Shadows, the podcast about design and technical theater in the Twin Cities. I'm your announcer, Anita Kelling. In this episode, Lisa Barron sat down with Pillsbury House production manager, Elizabeth McNally. Together, they talk about her process of moving from freelance stage manager to production manager. This conversation took place on April 27, 2021. Today I'm talking to Elizabeth McNally. She is a production manager, former stage manager. What is your job title now these days? I know it's changed a few times. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I love that. COVID catch-all. No, uh, so I'm I'm still a freelance. I'm not freelance. I'm a stage manager, and I happen to be the production manager at Pillsbury House and Theater as well. Okay. And can you explain to somebody what, like a production manager does and how that's similar and also maybe different from a stage manager? Like what yeah, are those? I guess, um, maybe it would be, so I might be just easier to tell you how I got here. Um, sure. so I, so I have a, I have a BFA in theater production, um, from a school that was called Rockford college. It's now called Rockford university, um, in Rockford, Illinois in, in theater production. Um, and I wanted to be a stage manager for like forever. Uh, and I was, and I am, and I was, and I went to school like saying that's what I wanted to be. Uh, and I got my degree and I graduated on a Saturday and on Tuesday, I started my first equity contract. Um, and I freelance stage managed, um, most of my, my 20 years of mm-hmm. experience now. Uh, I spent some time at the Guthrie for three seasons. Um, and when I left the Guthrie, I wasn't sure who I wanted to be when I grow when I said to grow up. Um, and I, I worked at Pillsbury house a lot when I was a freelancer and I love Pillsbury house. And while I was at the Guthrie, two of my other good friends who were stage managers kind of carried Pillsbury house while I was away. And the one thing that we really realized that there was no like middle management at Pillsbury house, that things that happened in the rehearsal room went straight to the artistic team or to the artistic directors. Um, and that was weird. Um, and there wasn't anybody <laughs> doing all of this stuff. And so it, it came very clear to me that there was somebody doing all the stuff that nobody liked, um, that I do like making a budget and writing contracts and making schedules and, and all of the things that, like I said, nobody really likes to do because everyone on staff were more artistically leaning staff members. Um, and so I went to Fanda well and said, you need this position and this is how you should do it. Um, and it allowed me to stage manage for them um, because they only do three main stage shows a year. It allowed me to like kind of like have a home space. Um, and I wasn't really interested on going back into the freelance world when I left the Guthrie. Like I didn't want to go, I just didn't want to job hop again because um, it's a yeah. lot of work. Um, and I was tired <laughs> uh, and decided that I just didn't, that wasn't where I wanted to be in my career anymore. I did that for, I mean, I did that for, uh, I, I left the Guthrie in 2012. Um, so I did it for, you know, I did it for 10, I was a freelancer for 10 plus years um, and it was great and I loved it, but I just wasn't ready to go back to that kind of rigor. Um, and I wanted home space and I started really realizing that the qual- the type of shows I was doing was more important to me than did just a job. 
Um, yeah. And the, the theater that what Pillsbury House does is theater is where I wanted to be. So I don't have any, um, like a lot of people will be like, I want to be, I want to be a production manager and I want to be like, I want to end up being a production manager at, you know, Chum's Theater or the Guthrie or, you know, go out east and work at, you know, one of the big spaces. I don't have that inkling. I just want to be at Pillsbury House um, doing what I do. So yeah, I kind of have sense. this like weird, <laughs> like weird position. So basically I write a lot of contracts. I do some budgets. Um, I do all the stuff that nobody wants to do. Okay. Makes uh, sense. And then I get to stage manage. Yeah. I wanted to ask, you said that you left school and started equity right away. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, was that just because you happened to have lots of equity places you could work or by advice of someone like go work at equity? Um, so when I graduated from college, I don't, I don't think you, I think USITT was around, but it wasn't something that like everybody did when I was in school. Um, and at the time there was these weird things called the Wisconsin auditions, um, in Madison. And I went with some friends from my university up there to like to audition and they were a bunch of actors and I was, and they it was like a two day thing. The first day was like workshops, okay. like how to audition and whatever. And then the second day was like interviews and audition slots. Um, and there were only two workshops for non performers. There was like one on resume building and portfolio building and one on equity. Um, and so I went to the two that I could go to, um, yeah. <laughs> cause I was not going to go to like how to audition for a musical. Um, <laughs> and the the one that I the resume building one um was run by someone from Santa Fe Opera um and he happened to forget his sample resume that he brought with okay and so I gave him mine I said, well, can you critique my, I, like, I, I don't care. Now I wasn't like too worried because Chris code from the Guthrie, cause I interned at the Guthrie when I was in college, Chris code helped me build mine. So I figured like Chris probably knows what he's doing. Yeah. There might um, be just a few tweaks that this guy There says, might be yeah. like things like, Oh, I, I prefer it to be in, you know, this font versus that font. Or yeah. I would look at spacing or something dumb, but I didn't think it was going to be like anything major. And he really liked my resume, obviously. Cause I interned at the Guthrie. Um, and it was the first time I realized like the doors that were probably going to get open for me having done that. Um, and he asked me what time my interview with him tomorrow was. And I told him I didn't have one, uh, that I didn't schedule one with him, um, because <laughs> I don't read music. I follow music. I like music, but I don't consider myself an opera person. Yeah. And he said, we should meet. Um, so I went and met with him. And he immediately offered, like, it was not an interview. It was, like, a job pitch, okay. which, again, like, I had never, <laughs> I didn't think that's what this was going to be, and it felt very weird. And then I started getting a lot of, so he offered me, or he basically pitched me and said that I had to talk to somebody else, but they wanted me to come down to Santa Fe Opera. Um, and I got a bunch of jobs from weird community, like, weird summer stock things that were, like, come live with us in the forest with the squirrels. And I was, like, that sounds horrible, and that should not be your... <laughs> marketing plan um i am too pretty for that i can't do that um and chris code had recommended me for a couple of equity jobs in the twin cities now like i said i had interned at the guthrie and i had also interned at an equity theater in um rockford illinois called new american which isn't around anymore and so i had had like 
I had done like five equity shows. Like I was, I spent a whole semester at New American and then went straight and spent a whole summer at the Guthrie. So I had a, I had a pretty good knowledge of like the workings of equity. And I had like a year in college to like practice. I did those like my junior, like my sophomore, junior year. Um, and then I had like some time to like practice those skills after college or after I, before I graduated. So I felt really strong about what I was doing. Um, and I got offered two equity shows. Um, I couldn't take one of them and I called Chris and he didn't answer my call. Uh, and then I decided to take this, take the one that I could actually take, which was the one that started the day after, uh, or the Tuesday after I graduated. Yeah. Um, and so I did. And a couple of years later, I talked to Chris about it and he said, well, you could, I couldn't make that decision for you. And if you, if you weren't ready, then you would have not taken it. Like the only way for you to like the only advice like you had to do it yourself. That's the only way you would know you were ready. Yeah, because otherwise you're gonna like be mad at him for telling you to take it if you got if you took it and then you didn't want it really. Yeah, you know or whatever. Like, that's yeah. Helpful. So that's so yeah. I went so I so I decided to move back to Minneapolis, um, or I lived with my parents for part of the summer, um, and then I got an apartment in St. Paul, um, and yeah, I've been equity since May of two thousand and one. There you go. Um, Had you always been interested in doing theater? You said you went to college for it. Was it something that you started doing pretty young then before that? Yes. So my mom taught high school theater and she auditioned for community theater in Elk River, Minnesota. Um, And she would take me with her to audition um, and I would not get cast because I am bad. (laughs) Uh, and my mom had a policy with her high school students, which I've come to have complicated feelings towards, um, that she would give, if you volunteered to be on the crew, eventually she'd find a place for you in the show. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just have a problem that, that, that I feel like that puts now as in a professional, like, I feel like that is a great philosophy and it's a great chance and a great exposure to people, but I feel like it, um, puts tech second and how do we make tech not second? And I'm not sure how that is yet, but the fact that it was yeah. encouraged was at least good versus some of the, my friend's schools that never, they never detect because it was, they were frowned upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would audition and I would get cast um, and I would volunteer to be on the crew. Um, and so I did crew for a number of shows. Um, and then I did get cast because the director felt it was like, remembered me from the production of Annie um, and cast me in a show. And I, hated it um i hated it and we got close to when the crew joined and i asked if i could if i could quit the show and join the crew and my mom said no that we had to follow through our commitments now i was like 12 yeah right like this is like i was 12 and i was like this is awful um and i don't like this uh and i'm not doing this again and the only other time i auditioned for a show was when i lost a bet in college um, nice. and I auditioned for a show and I went and I filled out the audition form. It was like conflicts all day, all night, parts you want, none of them. Um, <laughs> and it was my roommate, it was a college, it was a student production. And my, my roommate was directing it. She's like, you would actually be really good at this, but I'm afraid you'll just destroy it. I go, I will die if you ask me to do this. Like I had to take acting classes and luckily there was another technician in my class and he and I just paired up all the time so that we like <laughs> didn't embarrass ourselves with real actors. Like. Yeah. Um, so I knew early on that I wanted to be in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that um, I don't understand science of out in physics. So lighting was out pretty quick. Um, 
and I'm not a very good artist. So drawing and sketching is not something I'm very good at, but I'm really good at making lists and organizing and chasing things around and solving puzzles and problems. Um, and that I, I was really lucky that my mom's um, set designer was a man by the name of Scott Edward, no, Scott Peters, sorry, Scott Peters. And Scott was in, was a stagehand. He was an original, he was one of the original stagehands. In fact, fun fact for you, he is the one that built Mixed Blood's grid. Oh, okay. Um, so Scott, so it's old. Um, and Scott used to take me in his pickup truck down to the cities to pick up props from my mom's shows. Yeah. Um, which is probably, oh my gosh, I think about that. I was like, really probably not a good idea. It was like not a truck that anyone should be in as a small human, but <laughs> there I was like riding around the cities with Scott. Um, and Scott kind of taught me that stage management was a thing. Um, and that that might be something that I could do. So I kind of, so I, I, I did stage management in high school. And then, like I said, I went into my freshman year of college saying I want to be a professional stage manager, which I don't think I've ever met anybody else that has done that. Yeah. Because well, it's weird. It's, there might be a few people who maybe go to the high schools that have a lot of high school stage managers, but I think it's somewhere in college. A lot of people find it Yeah, a lot of times. I think that's what I've heard mostly. Um, so would you say that people like Scott and Chris were maybe mentors for you uh, along the way? And you probably had a few other people who helped mentor you in figuring out pathways that worked well for you. Yeah. I mean, they definitely like, they definitely, Scott definitely opened my eyes and taught me, about the wonders of technical theater um, and that it was mad and like, and did things like, you know, when my mom would have us up there, cause I, she drew my brother and I with like for, you know, build days, he put us, he's like, if a high school kid can do it, you can do it. And I was building sets with them. And um, absolutely. And when I, you know, and I was really lucky that the stage managers um, that I interned under um, at new American theater, um, Kathy was, um, was this amazing stage manager. And in fact, she's still in the Milwaukee area and she just was awesome. And she taught me so much about, especially about small theater mm-hmm. and like a small SVT theater and how that worked. Um, I still reach out to her like to this day, like about stuff. And just when I'm, whenever I'm in Milwaukee, I always try to go out with her. Um, and when she comes into town, we try to see each other. And then definitely um, Martha Coolig at the Guthrie and Chris Code um, taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were, they were there. They taught me in the beginning kind of how to run a room and, and do all of those things. Um, so like my, the, the technical aspect of stage management, like I learned, I definitely had a lot of mentorships from them. Mm-hmm. I think the artistry of stage management, I got more from my relationship with designers, um, and directors. Does that make yeah, that sense. makes sense because you're well. Those are the people you're working directly with, so yeah. you can learn how to stage management from other people. But how do you do the interpersonal? You learn yeah. from other people, I guess. Well, and you and the weird thing about stage management, right, is especially they, there's not a lot of opportunities, especially to have two equity stage managers on shows in the Twin Cities outside of the big spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, the, the internships are becoming more. Um, more are the ASM positions are becoming not just internships. They're becoming like a position like where you can spend some time there, but like there wasn't a lot of opportunities to work with other stage managers. when I was starting out, like it was kind of like trial by fire. 
So were you able to then, even though you weren't necessarily able to work with other stage managers a lot, did you build a pretty good network of like other stage managers you could call when you're like, I have no idea how to do this thing or, or even yeah. with directors and designers that you would call for those kind of things? No, I mean, yes and no. Um, so Tiffany Orr, who used to stage manage at Theater La Dida, um, when she first came into town, I, I, we were doing a show at Park Square and I was doing the show that was at night and Tiff was doing the production of Anne Frank. Um, no one told me when I interviewed for the job that I was going to be in rep. Um, so that was a fun, fun, fun thing to like stumble into. To randomly learn. Yeah, that's not Randomly good. learn. Um, and I was like, and who the heck is this? Like, cause I kind of knew a lot of the stage managers, but I didn't know who this person was. And like, we like ran in each other one night and I was mm-hmm. like, we just need to get a beer and talk about like how we're going to share the booth and don't touch my shit and I won't touch your shit. And yeah, kind of like probably mark out territories more than anything. Um, and we became just like the closest of friends. Like, you know, Tiff is still, I mean, she was my maid of honor and my wedding. Like she's super tight and, and we will call and we will text each other um, and be like, what does this rule me? Or mm-hmm. we try really hard to make sure that when we're working with people that may not know who we are, but knows the other one that they know that like we're a safe space that they can trust, especially, um, you know, especially like Miriam Clint, like the Mar- Tiff had worked with Miriam before I had. Um, and so that like, and Miriam and Tiff got along really well. And so the fact that I was friends with Tiff meant that Miriam could maybe trust me. Yeah. Um, and we had, you know, and Miriam ended up being one of my closest people. Yeah. Um, helped you build another relationship yeah that lasted for a long time yeah so yeah i mean i think i think like as far as like support goes i definitely think and then you know when i was at the guthrie i mean obviously i was close to the stage managers at the guthrie and and i still am close to to them um but yeah i think definitely tiff uh tiff Ward and i are i mean we last night we talked on the phone for i think two hours <laughs> just because <laughs> you needed to catch up we hadn't done it since you know last week so I mean, obviously we were missing on something yeah it wasn't two hours ago that you had talked about right. um so you are from um the minnesota area did you ever decide that like you actively wanted to come to the twin cities as your theater home or was that kind of a like over time you're like yeah i'm gonna stick around here and stay and i like this as my artistic home yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so I grew up just north of the cities um, and I went to school. And like I said, you know, I, I went through this Wisconsin audition and I looked at going to Santa Fe and I looked at these terrible summer stocks and a lot of my friends were all moving to Chicago because they were all from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got this job to come back to the twin cities. Um, and I was like, well, I want to go equity. I want like, <laughs> I want healthcare and I want, <laughs> I want benefits and I want, like a retirement plan. Like I, and I want to plan, like I want to work. Like I don't want to like not, because none of my friends moved to Chicago. None of them had plans. Um, and so I moved back here and I was like, well, you know, let's do this for a while. Um, and I just really loved where I was working. You know, I, I've, I've worked in a lot of the theaters in town. I've done a lot of different things. And, um, and my parents, like my parents are here. My brother lives in Illinois. My brother actually lives in Illinois, but, um, my parents are here. Um, and so it was just kind of a, felt right. 
Um, and there's a lot of things to do, a lot of places to work. So, um, I didn't feel like I needed to go somewhere else. Yeah. Found that there was enough work here that you could hang out here. Um, when you were, before you went to the Guthrie sort of full-time-ish, you said you were freelance. Did you, how did you find work during that time frame? Was it just contacting other places or? Yeah. So I, um, you know, it was kind of, it's a kind of a game of who do you know, like in timing, like I got the one, sh- the, you know, my first show from Chris Code. Um, and then I just like sent my resume out, my paper to the town, like you did, like you did. And I checked the, um, the five fifties, which nobody knows what those are anymore, but the start to be in this where you used to find jobs. Um, and I got a, I, I put a, I sent a cover letter to the jungle. Um, and I got an interview. And so I actually did my second equity show at the jungle, um, which I probably had no business being in that room. Like I was so young and. It was so funny. Um, like the cast was Terry Humpleman and Barbara Kingsley and Steve Yoakum. Um, <laughs> so like they were like these really established, like well-known people. And Bane Belke was directing, and I was like 23, and I was like, let's put on a play. Um, and, <laughs> but John's like, great, I'm gonna take a break. Here you go. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, and then I worked in. So I kind of I spent some time at the History Theater, and so I kind of bounced between the History Theater. Um, during like the school year and then the jungle in the summer. Um, and then it just kind of was like, um, there was another stage manager that used to be in town. Her name was Emily um, Park Smith and she moved to New York. And so when she moved to New York, she kind of like handed me her shows. Um, and one of her homes a was Pillsbury House. She's like, cause <laughs> as much as I would love to say that we all find jobs because based on whatever it's word of mouth. Um, and it's other, it's other people because especially, especially stage management, I think, I think it's a very, um, it's a very trusted position. It's a very, it's a very intimate position in the, in the process, especially in smaller theaters. Um, and so if you can't do it, they want you to recommend somebody, not necessarily just like put a question, like put an interview out. Cause I mean, a lot of, a lot of people don't necessarily know what we do. Yeah. Um, so I find that it's a little like, because it's not so tangible, like I can't look at your portfolio and go, oh, you can make a set. Um, yeah. <laughs> or I can't look at, you know, I can't listen to some fine sound, sound files and be like, oh yes, that sounds like a play. Um, that it's a little more, um, it's just a little bit more like a a hidden artistry as I like to refer to it. Yeah. Um, and so it became really a, a, a network of, you know, who do you know? Um, and I was really lucky. I mean, I've, I've been, I've had a really great career. Like I've had some time off that I took, that I chose to take breaks during. Um, and there were some, like some breaks that I had, but I was pretty much always able to find work quickly. Yeah. Um, when I wanted it. So, yeah. And then, and then I just kind of like, and then I just made sure I had a really great relationship with the spaces I worked in. Right. So that even when I wasn't available, they still called me, or when I made the decision to go back, when I just, when I left the Guthrie and made the decision to stick to stage management, I could call those spaces and they would offer me work again. Yeah. They, they were like, yeah, come back. That's totally fine. Yeah. That makes sense. Have, have you noticed things have changed a lot in stage management since you started? Um, or are they fairly this similar to when you started doing it? 
Um, I think I've changed a lot. Um, I think my thought process, I think, I think, um, and I think kind of, it kind of depends on like, I think that's why I think Pillsbury House is a really good, great place for me to be. Um, I used to think that my job was like to follow every rule and to hit every note. Like I was to say, go when you told me to say go and do it just like that. Um, and that's not how I think anymore. I think of it more, I really do think of it as, as an artistry and I really try really hard to, I ask a lot of questions during tech of my designers or if a moment's not working, I try really hard to like help, like understand why he was supposed to be doing something so that I can help place it and be like, oh, well, the reason why that's not working is that's not when that beat starts. They, you know, the character's actually starting to be here. Mm-hmm. So I think we try to put it here. We might be more successful at getting the f- outcome that we want being this effect. Um, so I think that has changed a lot. I think, you know, I think um, we're trying to be better about, like I said, I think that there's more opportunities for ASMing in town um, and that it's not just a free internship um, and that we're not, um, that there's more, that it's more, that it's more accessible um, and that there is more respect for our time. Yeah. Um, and I try really hard to be considered a partner in the room. Um, with the director and with the cast um, and not just, um, you know, I think in high school, there's this weird like tech versus actor behavior yeah. and that can, that can lead into the professional world to some degree. Um, and I think stage manager management always kind of like rocks both ro- worlds, right? Because it's in the, because we're in the, we're in the rehearsal room when there are no other technicians, but yeah. then we're also with all the technicians during all the technician time. So you kind of live in both worlds, but I really try not to have that world. Um, and to really, to really look on being a collaborative experience for everyone involved, yeah. um, and making sure that everyone has a voice. Um, and the other thing is I found that like the stories that I'm telling are far more important to me than I thought they'd be um or like what I was studying in college and what I do now are not the same because you're doing a lot more work that is newer right or Mm -hmm. yeah newish compared to other places I did so we did I did blood not at Pillsbury house in 2019 uh, it was the first time I used a Samuel French script in like, I don't know how long. And I really <laughs> like, I remember how much I hate Samuel French scripts and like co- at the copy machine and trying to blow it up. And like, I, like <laughs> I need, I need someone, not me. Cause I don't do this anymore. Like <laughs> I want, I want a PDF and I want like, I don't do like, I don't, so I haven't done, like I haven't done. I mean, I did at the Guthrie when I was at the Guthrie, I did, I did published works, but I, I would say that of my career, I would say that 75 to 85% it is, is new work, Mm -hmm. um, or at least regional premiere, um, mainly living playwrights, which is a whole other beast, but 
I, yeah, I don't, I, I never, I, I studied a lot of dead playwrights, like when I was in in college, like we all did. Like, yeah, I did. I studied Shakespeare and I studied, you know, Tennessee <laughs> Williams and Ibsen and all the things that we, you know, we all read. Um, and I don't do any of that. Yeah. And I don't, and, and I, and I don't, and I don't find it to be my type of theater when I have the opportunity to do it. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not very good at it. Even when you're going to go see theater, you're not necessarily drawn to those ones as much. No, I, I, I don't, and I don't like to see theater. Um, you don't like to go see theater. <laughs> I'm a really bad audience member. Is it hard to sit in a room when you are normally the people doing the stuff? Is that why I don't like is? people? Like um, COVID has been really good for me because I don't like people. I don't like sitting next to people. They annoy me. Um, Craig will joke that I belong behind glass. My husband, like, he's like, <laughs> God, just put her, like, she shouldn't, because I, and I'm like, I'm like, ugh, why are they, and like, and I'll be like, did you see that? Did you hear that? Ugh. And he's just like, <laughs> oh my God, you're like, and then he takes Tiffany to things together. He's like, it's like hell. Yeah. So like, you two are both like, like, he's like, it's just really bad. So like, when he, he tries to like, not go to theater with me. I know I like to see shows when I'm like, if, if they're still in like, early production-y stuff and they're only like we're gonna have five people extra in the audience I'm like cool let me come then because then there's no one else around and I don't have to sit next to another person so I get that feeling a little bit yeah I just I'm really I'm a really bad audience member (laughs) I like that you can still love working in theater and not really want to go see plays I think that's kind of awesome and you know it maybe maybe when the pandemic is over like the other thing is like for a while like I would just be working so much like mm-hmm. I just the last thing I want to do was sit in the theater yeah because like you know you think about like stage management you're in rehearsal and you're perform like and you're with things for so and there'll be times that I'd be going that I'd be doing like rehearsing one show during the day and going to another theater at night to run a show yeah for weeks at a time and the last thing that I wanted to do on a night off was sit in a theater like yeah. I wanted to watch a really bad movie and you know and not have culture like (laughs) I feel like I've heard this a few times from stage managers it seems to be more common with them it happens with other designers and other technicians and stuff but stage managers tend to be in that boat and I think it's because you guys see plays a lot I mean it might be the same play 10 15 20 30 times you know however many times your show runs um but you're still seeing plays a lot, which makes sense. Well, I can't get up and walk. Like you can be like, I hate this scene. I'm going to go like check on my paint or (laughs) I'm going to like, Oh, I have to go take this phone call and like not watch this moment again. Or like, even if it's a scene that you like, like you don't have to watch it for like the 400th time while I try to figure out like what it's trying to do. Yeah. I can go sit in the lobby during tech week if I need to for a bit. That's totally uh, normal for me. You can't. It's there. <laughs> You're always there. Yeah, that makes a big difference for you. Uh, so you currently work at the Pillsbury House, which is up the street from George Floyd Square. Yeah. That has affected your theater a lot. And what were some of the things that, I mean, I know the pandemic also changed the way that theater has to work for this last year. Um, but what were some of the things that your guys' theater did during that time for yourselves and your community? Well, um, so after after the murder, um, during the unrest, you know, we lost a lot of um, we lost a lot of grocery stores, and we lost a lot of access to a lot of things. Um, so we had a pop up pantry that we ran for a number of weeks, 
Um, and we were a place where people could, even the equipment couldn't go inside. It was a place for people to go and a, few, a place for people to congregate. Um, we we um, made giant, um, we hung giant pictures in the, the windows and we and we reached out, you know, we made art through our, the teaching artists and the staff artists on staff. Um, we also have a daycare on site. Um, you know, Pittsburgh House is, is a little interesting, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a theater, it's a partial theater, but it's in a community center and they're really intertwined with each other. Yeah. Um, so part of what the outlet for a lot of us have been of us on staff is that, you know, we still have a daycare and we still have an adult day center. Um, and we had to create a level of normalcy and safety for those, those people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and, and also to be a member of community and when we can't have our doors open. Um, so we're supporting, you know, the people in the community, but then the other thing that's happening is that the, um, a lot of the artwork from George Floyd Square actually is getting archived at Pillsbury House. It's getting, it's getting cleaned and filed and, um, preserved, um, in our building. Um, and then the, there's an art exhibit right now at Fire Arts, um, on 30th in Chicago. Okay. And it's, it's stuff that people, it was offerings that people have left that has been off, archived at our space. Yeah. And I, I like, love that you guys are staying connected to your community. I mean, you're only a few blocks away from there and that is yeah. your community of people for sure. Are there, um, other things about your like, uh, story and like the way you got into this that you want to share with us or, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess, like I said, you know, I kind of said like, I didn't, the things I didn't start, like I, I went to school and I studied, but like the things I didn't know, like I wish I could go back and like find the 18 year old self and say the things that you need to study more of. Like I, I, I wish I would have understand. I wish I would understand music history earlier on mm-hmm. um, and understanding the difference. Um, I, and I guess I wish I would have realized the importance of August Wilson was going to be in my life. I, I, there's a lot of people that consider themselves, you know, family of August in the twin cities right. Or children of August. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm a grandchild of August. Like You're I don't necessarily generations removed. Yeah. I'm like one, I'm like one generation below. Like I didn't, I didn't work with August. I never met August, but I certainly have worked with his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize how important he was going to be in my career. Like his influence in actors and his influence in playwrights. Um, is a huge influence in everything that I've like my work. Yeah. Um, and I wish I had a better understand. I wish I, I now understand, like I get the difference between rap and R and B and jazz and hip hop. Like I understand and blues and gospel. Like I understand, like I can, I can identify them when I hear them and I can, and I can, I, as we know, a lot of playwrights will write in, in rhythm yeah. of a character, you know, especially, um, playwrights. I, I think it happens more with African-American playwrights that they will write a, a character in a certain some cadence of a, of a style of music that that can, that character kind of embodies. Yeah. Um, and I can recognize that all, like, I know what those all are now. I wish I had a better his, historical understanding. Like, I mean, I understand, like, I know what they all are now, but like, I wish I had like just a deeper understanding versus just like catching it. Um, and the, and the effect that, 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 that music has on the, on the time and the people and 
the characters and the lineage of those characters. Um, so even though it's somebody that might be a modern character, they're still, they're still, their great grandmother was, you know, their great grandfather was the, was the pastor. So they're going to, they're going to speak in, in, the, in the rhythm of gospel, which then changes how I interact with that character calling a cue, right? Like I, I'm going to fall into a different rhythm with that character from placing cues with them mm-hmm. um, in their world, understanding where their world comes from. Um, and so I wish I had, I wish I had done that. And I wish that um, I spent more time working on new work. Um, I felt like I had a huge learning curve on how to work with new work and how to work with um, playwrights Yeah, and having a playwright like, in, in the room with you um, and the nuance of that experience. Like that's a, that's very different than just a director and an actor. Right. Like, and it's not like you add a, you add a living playwright and it's like, Oh, now there's like a whole other thing you didn't think about yeah, how to move forward and how to take them into consideration. Um, and I was really lucky that I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time working with Miriam Clinton um, and the thing that I realized when Marion died is that, that um, everyone kept saying, oh, Marion is a, is an acting director. Marion is a, is a designer director. He's a playwright <laughs> director. Like everyone thought Marion was like their director. It was because Marion taught, Marion made space for all of them. Yeah. And the truth of the matter, Marion was a storytelling director. And as long as you were staying out of the way of the story, then he was, you were with him. Yeah. As long as you're supporting that story, he's trying to um, tell. Yeah. And, and, and that a playwright can get in the way of a story. Um, like they can get them, they can get bogged down in, you know, details or minutia of things or uh, of it. Like they can like get lost in a beat and Marion would help them weed themselves out of that beat. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, I just like, you know, really focusing in on the, the importance of telling story um, what was really, I think I didn't, I didn't have that. Like, it was, like I said, it was really technical. Like it was a little, it was really technical. Um, and I wish I had like, and I, in history, and having an understanding of history is really important. And I took a lot of history, but I took like a lot of European history again, cause I was studying a bunch of dead plays. Yeah. Um, typical. And education. I wish that I had a better modern understanding of things that I got and I have now um 20 years later um but I wish I had a better understanding then yeah and a better base I I wonder if if you had the flip side of an experience where like you only really knew the modern stuff and you didn't know any of the old stuff I guess is the best way or classics would that would you have similar opinions now like I wonder even though you are now working in mostly new work like some of that establishment from behind would that have been different? I mean, you it's hard to tell, yeah. It's hard to, I, I, I think, um, yes, and no. I think, I think the history is more like understanding the history of, of how of the genres, yeah. like, I'm not sure that I actually needed to read Ibsen, or I'm not sure I really needed to read Tennessee Williams, 
Yeah, because those are not definitely those are definitely not similar to shows you've been doing. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, and I'm not sure that they. Yes, it, it's a it's a time and it's a and it's a. But I'm not sure that they have. Um, or I mean, I took like two or three semesters of Shakespeare, like. Yeah. And as much as we want to say, you know, Shakespeare is you know whatever a theater, like he's not. Um, <laughs> he's you know. Yeah. Storytelling goes back long before Shakespeare. Um, so I, I don't know if I needed the history of theater, like more, more of understanding the history that the stories are trying to tell. And I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of social justice. Um, I do a lot of stories of people. I work on a place that, of people that, you know, we don't hear their stories. And, you know, I joke that Pillsbury House, all of our shows are like 90 minutes long and it's like. We take a two by four, we hit you over the head, and we could go home and think about what you learned. Yeah. Um, and understanding why those things happened, I think, is really important. Yeah. Um, some, some some actual history would have been good in things that are a little closer to our time frame. So yeah. In general. Yeah. That makes sense. And not through such a white narrative lens that I got going to a very white liberal arts college. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh are besides reading and knowing new works, uh what other things would you either give 18-year-old yourself if they were starting now or someone else who is maybe going, "You know what? I think stage management might be the thing for me." Uh, Don't do it. <laughs> no, I mean, why do you do it? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's hard. Um <laughs> And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think, I do think thinking of yourself as an artist is really an important thing. And I don't think that a lot of stage managers do that. I think a lot of stage managers think their job is to support the art um, and create space where art can happen. But really in order for us to do art, properly we have to be creating the art yeah um and we have to consider ourselves as an artist like you know i talk about um working with namir smallwood who is an amazing actor and namir is um is a musician first and namir will sit in rehearsal in the at table work and he taps out his rhythms like right like all of a sudden you look over and he's got his hand and he's and then he like, and he works through things and all yeah. And I realized that he is finding, like, he's literally finding the rhythm of the lines. And I find that if I can watch him and I can know what he's, where the beat is coming and where he's trying to get it. Mm-hmm. That again, when it comes time to placing cues, I know, cause in the mirror, we'll start peppering in a beat in a moment in places you had no idea if you weren't watching him, that that actually started six pages ago. And the first time he, he touches that prop is the time that that's, it's building up to that monologue that we're going to get to. Yeah. Um, And so being able to watch him build rhythms allows me to be better at supporting the process, you know, and, um, 
I did a, you know, you know, I worked a lot with Mike Wongan again before he died. And I lost two kind of giants in my life um, in a very short period of time yeah. um, from November to January um, of from 18 to 2000 um, or 19 to 2000. Um, it, and Mike barely gave me notes. Um, and at first it would drive me nuts. Um, <laughs> but Mike just kind of let me find again, find the rhythm, find the story, find what I'm doing. Um, and would work with like, and I'd be like, and if I, if I was really struggling with a moment, he talked to me why we were struggling and, and whether it needed to be an adjustment on my placement or an adjustment in his build. Um, but it was more of, um, it was more of a relationship in the, in the work. Um, yeah. And I'm really lucky that I had that. I'm really lucky that I had, um, you know, the first time I, that we did, um, and I worked with Sharon Bridgeforth on River Sea, which was theatrical jazz, which was something I had no idea what that meant and how that worked. Um, and I, you know, I joke that <laughs> everybody came late to rehearsal. They sat in a circle and did it like stretched and checked in. Um, and then they would do some stuff and then they take a break and then they check in again. And then they would be like, Ooh, I'm exhausted. And like two hours had passed and they call it a day. And I was like, I have no idea what's happening. I'm like, I have no, I'm taking notes. Cause Sharon's like throwing her arms up in the air. When can you make a note of this? And I'm like, sure. Um, I don't know what I'm noting. And like, I just was like, so uncomfortable in my skin. Um, and who like in the room and like feeling like I belonged and then it turned out that Mike wasn't going to be, and then it turned out that the the show, even though the story was the same, it was the same stories every night mm -hmm. um, that, that Sandra told in the same order, how we got from story to story was going to change every night. So Mike couldn't design cues. Um, oh. So, so Mike just filled the submasters with colors and, and patterns and everything. Um, and he's like, I can't be at all the shows. So here is a list of the, here's a list of the stories and here's a list of the color that that story should be. And they need front light. Go. I was like, what are you talking about? And, <laughs> and really like being able to play in Mike's world and understand how to, how to paint yeah. with light, the way that Mike painted with light and paying homage to Mike's aesthetic when Mike wasn't there. Um, I think really gave me breath into that world and that understanding of that artistry. Like it's not just hitting go. It's not just, it's, it's learning the movement and the, and the flow of a character and how, and, and, and that, that and that that breath is the breath that they're going to take before they tell the story. So that's when I need like, and feeling that with them and yeah. connecting, like, especially like in performance to know the difference between it's there Right. And, and that there may be this moment that you can't, I can't tell you what it is, but I can connect to that character yeah. um, and that I'm in there with them um, is really important. And Mike, you know, Mike gave me that, that ability to see. Yeah. I, I think that's very important as a stage manager uh, and anyone who runs a board that you 
are, you realize you are an artist, you are part of the artistic process and that knowing to play it two seconds earlier, two seconds later does change the play and you're part of it. That's lovely. I uh, will. The other thing I don't, I didn't have any experience in, in college and I didn't have it until I got into the real world and I did not realize how hard it is. Um, stage managing a one person show is exhausting. It is like the hardest thing. It's the hardest shows I do. Um, I give me a cast of 10 any day. Like, oh. from an, because I am the only person that knows the story. I'm the only connection to any kind of order or semblance. So if that actor, you know, if, if that actor um, gets lost yeah, or gets off or their beat is not quite, I have to be right in there with those cues with so them. Jump with them easier. Um, yeah. So like whether, whether they like they physically go to a different part of the script and I have to like quickly get everybody to that other, like I have to know the show so well to do that with them. But also like, again, it's like knowing that the, knowing those their their ticks their personas knowing how those characters move and build um it's exhausting like i can't like i can't like i'm their only i'm their only conduit yeah because if i flake like you know i i did a show where we had an understudy go on and the understudy was terrible this they didn't know their lines they didn't know they were supposed to be like it was it was bad. And I was like, in the booth, not like, there's nothing I can do. Like y'all had to figure out how to do this yourselves. Like I just had to sit here and, and kind of watch, um, where if it was a one person show, like I, that's it. I'm the only other person. So if they drop a line or if they like, I have to feed them cues or give them, I have to make sure that that, that light in that moment is with them mm-hmm. so that when they look there, they have that, that, that pinpoint, that grounding. Yeah. I would not have thought that a one person show would be harder. That's interesting. It's exhausting. I find it, I find it to be like absolutely (laughs) exhausting. That's just, I I love learning that kind of stuff where you're like, I did not know. I would not have thought that at all for sure. Especially and the other thing that's really great is they play multiple characters that usually the characters that you don't like, you never like deal with. Like, I, I never have to talk to that character like or that person that would embody that character like I don't ever have to interact with them and I have to like talk to like this one person which is kind of nice yeah, yeah that makes sense I suppose awesome well I think I, I've asked most of the questions is there anything else that you'd like to share or any projects I know that you guys did some online stuff are you guys still working on any shows like that or are you guys looking at maybe doing anything in person soon I don't know uh, you know crazy. Who knows? Uh, we're trying, like everybody. Like you know, it's um. Everybody should get vaccinated, wear your mask, socially distance, and knock it off, so we can come back to work sooner. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just I think it's we just kind of have to wait. Like we want to do some project, we want to do a project, um, but it's hard. Yeah. There's a lot of between the unions and the state and people, and you don't want people to get like. You don't want to be the people who get people sick either. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and online stuff is not the same. It's not the same as being in the room. You know, we did a podcast this fall, um, which was really fun. Yeah. Like, I would we agree. Did, like, we're doing one of those. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. but not even, like, I guess, yeah. I, I, think we, I think we were like a radio drama. Like, yeah. we did, we did, like, we, we put, we were Cat Horowitz way too hard, and that's good for Cat, I think. Um, we, we did the play, we did the plays of sound on, and on, and made like a little series of plays based on our, our Great Divide series, which was really important to us. Um, it was our response to the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, re- and we had decided that up until 2020, the shows had always been in the, in the, in the, like the winter slot. Like it was always like, it was the first show, like after the 2016 election, it was the first show that we did after the election. Yeah. It was called Great Divide, Tales of a Broken Nation. And then it felt good. It felt right. And we decided that it should be like our kind of like our recall, like our response to the election. And so we just did it every year. Um, yeah. And each year had a different theme. Um, and then in 2019, we were deciding the 2020 season. And we decided that it wanted to be our call to action. Like that's how we wanted to get people out to go, get out and vote. And like it was going to be our thing. That was we were. It was going to lead us up to the election. Um, and it was really important for us to still do it. Mm-hmm. Leading up to the like, because we kept saying it was going to be the last. We had the rumor on the street was that we were going to do it every year that Trump was in office. So we were really hoping it was going to be our last one. Um, <laughs> and it was just really important for us to do. So that was it. Was really fun, and it was our first time. Like you know, we spent time in a Zoom room together, and um, everyone was you know in their homes with things, and then we hadn't gotten as good as we got are now with technology. And it was just very funny. Um, yeah. So it was fun. I, I mean, I did, I did like that. Um, but we haven't been doing like a whole lot. Um, Cause we're running a community center too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the, the community needs that too. So for yeah. now you guys will be ready to do theater when you can, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a lot of kids. We've done a lot of um, after school programming. Chicago Avenue has been online a lot. Um, and zooming a lot with kids. In fact, I have a rehearsal here in a half hour, directing <laughs> one that Jeffrey Hatcher wrote. Um, so it's yeah, it's been it's it's been good um, from that perspective. Awesome, awesome. Well, I hope to be able to get to work with you again sometime in the future. That'd be exciting. And yeah. well, uh, but thank you very much for coming. Yeah, and chatting with me uh, on our little podcast here. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of We Shadows. If you enjoyed it, please recommend it to your friends, colleagues, and students. If you loved it, like us on Facebook and please hit the follow or subscribe button on your chosen podcast platform. We Shadows was created by Liesa Behrens, Rachel Lanto, and Anita Kelling. It was recorded over Zencaster and produced by Anita Kelling. Our theme music was composed and performed by J. William Kelsch. We Shadows can be found wherever you search for your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in this week, and be sure to check us out every Wednesday for new episodes.